Welcome to the Feather Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Good morning and welcome to the Feathered Desert. Uh, Kirsten and I today are going to talk about rodenticide, a deadly decision. Yeah. Yes. So it's a, it is. Uh, rodenticides are deadly dis- are in your yard are a way to manage um, unwanted rodents, but it's a deadly decision for birds and other wildlife. There are safer, healthier ways to control an unwanted rodent issue than to use rodenticides. Rodenticides are not the best solution to a rat rodent issue. And but, be, but before we talk about the alternatives to rodenticides, Kirsten is going to briefly share with us the what's and the how's of this deadly choice. Yes. First of all, we want to talk about what is rodenticide. In this podcast, we're talking about second generation anticoagulant rodenticides. Second generation means it has a long half-life. Half-life means that the toxin lasts longer in the environment. And when we specifically mean this, this is how, how is this hurting second generation means that something else is going to eat it and it's going to affect them. So your rat ate it and you're like, yes, you're going to die. Well, I'm not going to die quite yet. We're going to talk about why that is in just a second. And then something else is going to eat them. So the second generation also refers to the fact that a second animal is going to be affected by this rodenticide. Now, the other part of this is anticoagulant. And that means that this works by causing fatal internal bleeding to an affected animal. And that's not a nice way to go at all. So a poison rat, essentially, that has eaten one of these second-generation anticoagulant rodenticides is a toxic time bomb, no matter who poisoned it, whether it was you, whether it was your neighbor, whether it was a dude down the street. But the biggest problem is that this rat eats it, and it doesn't die right away. They don't eat it and then just keel over. They're going to live for maybe an entire day, maybe two days, and they're dying slowly because they're bleeding out internally. And A, that's a really horrible way to kill anything. And B, raptors, such as our hawks, owls, vultures, and falcons, not to mention our cats, dogs, and our coyotes, bobcats, and mountain lions, will all come in contact with this rat. And if one of them eats it, then they will also be exposed to the second-generation rodenticide by ingesting the poison rodent. Now, when we say this can kill an entire family, think about this. If this happens in springtime, which, of course, is when we get a lot more rodent activity, then a raptor just grabbed that up, maybe one of a red-tailed hawk that's in your backyard or or near you, or if you're near um, an open area where they're nesting, that rat eats that rodenticide and then runs over there. That raptor grabs it up and is like, oh, it's perfect for my babies. And she takes it back to the nest, breaks it apart, and gives it to all her chicks. She eats a little bit of it, too, because mom's got to keep her strength up. And now you've killed the entire family. Because it will, they will keep it in their body. And they might not die right away. It might be several months. It might even be a year. And it builds up in their body. And they will eventually have a problem where they'll either just start bleeding internally. Or they'll have an accident. Maybe they'll just hit the ground too hard or hit a tree or something like that, which normally they'd bounce back from with no problem. But with this rodenticide in their body, they're going to start bleeding and bleed and bleed and bleed and die. Yeah. So it's not cool. Residual amounts of the toxins will actually build up in the raptors slash animals. So this goes for our coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions and our javelina if they try to eat it. 
um, and then it will just uh, surpass a lethal dose. And it's just, ugh, it's not a good way to go. Um, but this type of rodenticide leads to higher mortality rates for raptors, which decreases their population. And we know that that is a fine balance right now. So Cheryl's got some proactive ways to keep rodents in check. Yes. So in a past life, a lot of people don't know this, but in, for me, in a past life, I used to work for a pest control company. So I used, it was a large pest control trunk company, and what I actually did was manage the routes of 10-plus technicians and talk about stress, which is why it's a past life. <laughs> um, but I was also a pest control technician on several levels, which meant I had to go to classes, I took tests, I read materials, um, kept up on chemicals. And, as, and I went out to homes to do assessments. Um, in doing this, I became well aware of what the company, as ethically as it was trying to be, was putting out there on people's yards, hence why I no longer work there. But um, these proactive measures are things that I would suggest to clients prior to having uh, us come in to do rodent control. Right. So... Um, First is, you need to be aware that rats can enter your home through an opening the size of a dime. Yep, wherever their head goes, their body can follow. Yes, they turn into jello, yep. just like, you know, <laughs> you can see in some of those Christmas movies. Santa just, the rats, they just slide in. Right. Seal all holes in roofs, walls, foundations, crawl spaces, and sheds. Seal openings around pipes, cables, and electrical wires that enter walls and foundations, except for weep holes. Those are the little holes that you see around the, the eaves of your, by your roof. Don't seal those up. That's not an entrance for a rat or a mouse. Um, cap plumbing vents, vent stacks with hardware cloth. And that is like a wire mesh sort yeah. of cloth. Cut branches back three feet away from the roof in November and December before your birds start nesting. Right. Please use wire mesh or hardware cloth under porches that extend partially into the ground. Rip out ivy. It's not good. No, that's just a ladder. Yes. Do not accumulate trash around your home. This is a harborage for any pest, especially rodents. Provide tight cover covers on crawl space entrances. Check garage shelves and storage sheds for evidence of rats. And for those of us who feed the birds, if you feed the birds, feed small amounts at a time and bring in feeders at night. Yeah, especially if you have or yes. your neighbors have yes. rat problems. Yeah. Keep the ground clean under the feeders. And we did a podcast on feeder placement, yes. which, which helps you um, keep rodents in mind when you're placing feeders. And that might be one you might want to listen to. And also at WBU, at least Mesa, but I think all WBU stores across the country, sell hot pepper products that can be a deterrent. Um, it works on squirrels and uh, mice. Um, some roof rats can develop a taste for it, just like some bears can develop a taste for it. But generally speaking, it's probably 50-50. Yeah. Cayenne pepper <laughs> works on rat trails. Now, that does work. 
It also works on cats. In yeah, because then it gets on their nose and their yeah, whiskers and, and stuff, they, and it's and not cats pleasant. Cats do not like it, yeah. and rats do not like it either. Um, the most important thing, and the first thing that I would generally tell people when I would come to the home, is pick your fruit. Yes. I cannot stress this enough. Keep the ground clean of old fruit. If you have a lot of fruit trees and you feel like you can't, reach out to your local community. There will be places that are like, we can use this fruit. Maybe it's someone volunteering from the um, food pantry yeah. or your local church or something yeah. like that. If you've got a lot of fruit and you're just like, I can't handle doing all this myself, reach out to them and you can set up volunteers to come and take your fruit before it gets out of control. Yes. And open, um, consider your neighbors. You might have a family that lives near you that has a lot of children and they like oranges or they need lemons for lemonade. Um, we take our citrus, we pick it, we um, squeeze it into juice and we freeze it. Yeah. So it takes us a couple of days, but then we don't have to deal with any fruit. She also shares it with her uh, co-workers, which yes. is nice too. <laughs> <laughs> when I get tired of squeezing. <laughs> so remember that the first line of defense is a good offense. Haha, doing yes. a sports analogy. Yeah. There. Sanitation and inclusion. Exclusion. And it, exclusion. And it can all be done, thank you, can all be done before you even have a problem. Yeah. And that's a great way, especially if you're moving into someplace new or you're in a rental home and you're moving in and it's new to you. Look around at all these things and do that and then you're never going to have to worry about this right, problem. Right, right, right. So Kirsten's got the don't do this. Yes, there are a few things that you really, really want to do, but we're going to caution you not to do them. Please, please do not use snap traps in open landscape. All that's going to do is harm and maim other types of animals. Because you have to remember, rats do not run in the middle of a field. They run next to stuff. They run under bushes. They like to be hidden. So if you have to use snap traps... And sometimes you have to do that. Make sure it's in their pathway where they're running. It's right next to the house. It's in the crawl space. And then you'll be able to actually catch the rat that you want. Not a bird or a bunny or, God forbid, uh, your cat that hopefully you're keeping indoors anyways. Um, something like that. Or even your kid who goes out into the backyard and is playing and steps on the snap trap. So do not use them in open landscape. Please, please, please avoid at all costs using sticky traps or glue traps. These I want to take off the shelves. God, I want to take them off the shelves. They're horrible. I mean, if you might, if you catch your rat or your mouse and they do actually stick in the sticky glue, they're starving to death. That's an absolutely horrible way for any animal to die. And the fact that they might not even stay there. They will pull so hard that they will rip their feet off and then they will run away without feet and they'll just slowly bleed out. Or they'll chew their little feet off, and it's just horrible. Also, the glued sticky traps will usually um, catch songbirds. Songbirds and geckos. And, and geckos and, and all sorts of animals that we want to keep around. But glue traps, please don't, don't buy them. Don't buy them. If you have them right now, please throw them away because yes. they are absolutely horrible. Um, and then the rodenticides. That's what this whole thing is about. Please do not use the rodenticides. Rat poison kills everything. It kills everything. It doesn't kill just rats. It kills our birds. It kills our other wildlife. As we said before, when a hawk, an owl, or a bobcat eats a poison rat, they too can become very ill or perish due to secondary poisoning. Also, think about this. Rat poison, your dog, you let them out in your backyard, and we're not always out there if you have a fenced-in backyard. Your dog could eat that, and then they're going to die as well. Not to mention a small child um, who gets out of your sight for just a moment, goes around that corner, what's this? Picks it up, everything goes in their mouth. And they're like, two years old, everything has to go in my mouth. 
and now you're rushing your child to the ER and we certainly, certainly do not want that to happen. So those are some of your do's and don'ts. And Cheryl's got a little bit of a closing here. Yes. So I just wanted to um, give an example. This ha example happens to be in California, but I did do some research and I know that there are agricultural areas that are in Arizona that are practicing um, with uh, raptors as rodent control. So we ra rarely see owls because they are nocturnal and very quiet. But they are among the best rodent controlling predators we have. Oh, yeah. Without any of the devastating long term effects of poison. So, a California vineyard did a three year study. The first year, they put up nesting boxes and planted oak trees, thereby creating a barnyard residency. A barn owl, right? Barn owl. Barn, owls, I'm sorry. Yeah. barn owl. So, the second year and the third year of the study, the large population of owls took out. 25,682 rodents at a cost of 36 cents per rodent. That's pretty good. That is. <laughs> versus the cost of $8.11 per ro rodent if they had used the pest control service. Well, that saved them a lot of money. Yes. I don't think that pest control company could claim that kind of success either. Mm -mm. Barn owls eat an average of three rodents a day. So do the math. If you have a barn owl family, they have, what, three to five chicks on average? Yep. So that's seven owls. That's 21 rodents a day. I mean, yep. they'll have to, they, hopefully they have to go to someone else's yard after right. a while to find, <laughs> to find rodents. So, um. And we don't typically have barn owls in our area here, but we've got great horn owls. We do. Who have three or one to three chicks per nesting season. We also have the western screech owl. Yes. And we can have those in our neighborhoods. Yes. I mean, I know that, like I said, I live a little more out in the desert, so I do have um, barn owls. But you live, like, right in the middle of the city. I, yeah, I don't have barn and owls. And you don't have barn owls. I do have a great horned owl. You have a great horned owl, and you've told me you've also heard western screech owls in your backyard. So if we allow them the space that they need by not putting out the rat poison, not poisoning them, then they will come and they'll take care of the problem for you. And yes. you get the added coolness of having an owl in your backyard <laughs> it's cool <laughs> yes. but I, I do know that wild at heart which is a raptor rescue organization in north phoenix and arizona wildlife resource which is a um rescue organization that is further south closer to tucson that they do set up nesting boxes for barn owls for agricultural um farms people who Very want cool. to do that instead and they monitor those nests so this sort of thing that is mentioned in california is happening here so we are making progress but we do need to make more progress on the public end in our residential yeah. homes um there's a great website that i want to men mention so whatever information did not come off the out of my brain <laughs> i got from this website it's called raptors are the solution.org because um, they just have a lot of great information. And I'm going to say that if you ask your pest control company, the technician, and they tell you that their product is not toxic, I don't want you to believe them. Mm -hmm. Don't believe them. Check out the website I just mentioned. It will be in our snow notes, show notes as well. Because they have a list of chemicals that you would need to look for. And um, they also have great suggestions on um, how to avoid it. It's a great awesome. website. And Kirsten has the plant spotlight. Yes, this plant spotlight. This one is um, fennel, actually. 
And it is a flowering plant species in the carrot family. It is not a native, but it is not an invasive species. It's not going to take over your yard. Generally, people put these in a pot. Um, um, when I lived in Maryland, I was able to put it in the ground because we have a bit more water in the ground there. But it's not something that's going to take over. So fennel is a hardy perennial herb with yellow flowers and feathery leaves. I do like the feathery leaves. It's, it's very, pretty. very pretty. It is indigenous to the shores of the Mediterranean, but has become widely naturalized in many parts of the world, especially on uh, dry soils near the seacoast and on riverbanks. So fennel is actually widely cultivated for its edible, strongly flavored leaves and fruits. Uh, its aniseed or licorice flavor comes from the anthol, antithol, I'm not sure how to say that one. It's a word I don't know. <laughs> Phrase, first one. <laughs> um, uh, and, which is the aromatic compound that's also found in anise and star anise. And its taste and aroma are similar uh, to theirs, but it's just not as strong. For me, fennel is not something I eat. I don't like fennel. No, I, but I found the whole thing very interesting. Yeah. That, they were, that it was edible. Yes, it is completely edible. My mother loves it because she likes licorice flavor stuff. But for me, no. I planted it specifically for the reason that Cheryl chose this plant, which is because it is the host plant for the black swallowtail butterfly. Yes, which is why I have it in my yard. Yes. And that is amazing. Now, remember what a host plant is. It means you're planting it so the caterpillar will eat it. And so if you don't really like fennel and you don't want to use it as an herb, plant it. And then after, it usually takes a, maybe a couple years, um, maybe the second year. Um, if you're lucky the first year, the black swallowtail will find it and lay eggs on it. And you'll have these amazingly cute caterpillars that are green with these black stripes on them. <laughs> oh, my God, they're so cute. Now, of course, any of you who have listened before, I do have a, an obsession with caterpillars. I love them. But these guys are adorably cute. They actually start out black, and as they grow, they get green. Um, but there's some interesting facts that we found out, too. Uh, the Hindu and Chinese people used to use it as a cure for snake bites. I mean, used to might be that it doesn't work. Right. So let's not do that. Just an interesting fact. You know, keep in mind. One of those trivia things you keep in your head. Uh, but let's not try to use that for a snake bite. Yeah. If you get bit by a snake, please call 911. Uh, while in the Middle Ages, fennel was hung above doorways to ward off evil spirits. Huh. Now that might be something I would use it for. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that might be useful. So anyways, this is fennel and you can find it um, pretty much anywhere really right now. But if you are planting it specifically to be a host plant, don't buy it at places like Home Depot or Lowe's yeah. because those all have uh, pesticides on them. Um, you don't want to eat them either. But they'll say organic flowers or organic but that means they've used organic pesticides which means it won't really hurt us if we eat it but if you put it out there specifically for the butterflies to lay their eggs on the caterpillars will start eating it and then they'll die so you want to look at uh places that do no pesticides at all so um something maybe like um our local um goodness gracious nurseries here yeah something like maybe summer winds you can contact them and ask them or if you have a local one that's near you that's just a small mom and pop kind of place just ask them and a lot of times they'll tell you all right guys well i hope we gave you some thought there some thought definitely check out our show notes i'll put the website on there um for raptors are the solution and hopefully you don't really need to use this podcast too much because hopefully you won't have any rat problems but if you do We've given you some stuff to look at.